This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Michael Goldberg, crowd favourite for Talkie Book viewers. Thanks very much for coming back on the show. Uh, mate, we'll get into your stock pick in a second, but maybe you could just give us a brief outline of Collins Street Value Fund and, and what you guys have been up to. Sure. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Um, yeah, look, we've got two funds nowadays. Um, our flagship fund being the Collins Street Value Fund. It's been doing really, really well. You know, over the journey, over the six and a half years, I think we've generated just under 19% per annum, which is exceptional. Had someone asked me when we launched the business if we'd be satisfied with 12 or 15%, would have said, of course we would. So we're thrilled with what we've been able to achieve. Um, certainly uncertain times create opportunities for people like us, value investors, so we've taken advantage of those opportunities, but thrilled with how things are going. Um, we also just launched a new fund to, I suppose, tap a new market in convertible notes. So convertible notes has always been a part of the flagship fund and it's always generated really good returns for us. But because our flagship fund is a liquid fund and convertible notes are contracts that are illiquid, we were limited to how much we could put in that you know, in, in our flagship fund. So we've created what I call like an overflow fund so that our investors can access these deals that we're getting coming across our table, um, but which we can't invest in through the flagship fund because we've reached our capacity for illiquid businesses. So yeah, very excited about both. Um, we launched the new fund last month, so I don't have any returns numbers for you, <laughs> but certainly we hope that we'll generate, you know, really solid, hopefully double digit returns over the journey, including a, uh, a relatively fixed distribution or, or income. So that's something a little bit different and something we're quite excited about. And so the focus of that new fund is really what high yield and then you sell down the, the equity once it gets converted. Is that the plan? Yeah, pretty much. Look, we're, we're investing in companies that we think have significant growth or in sectors that have significant growth. Um, we tend to come to terms to lend the company money for, let's call it two or three years. Um, and during that period of time, if the company does really, really well and takes the money that we give them and grows to the next level, then we're entitled, or we feel like we're entitled to participate in some of that upside. So, you know, let's say a company's trading at 10 cents today, we'll come to them and say, hey, let us lend you money for the next two, three years. We're happy to have a conversion price of, call it 15 cents. If in the next three years it gets well above 15 cents and we would convert that loan into equity and then sell that in market and realize the, uh, realize the difference. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. There's not a lot of players in the Australian market, I think, that are focusing on convertible notes, um, but we're quite checkered to it. We like the downside protection of the debt and we like the upside protection of equity. So I feel like you get a bit of both worlds, the best of both worlds. And what stock did you want to walk us through today? I thought I'd talk about Astron. Um, it's a stock that we actually engaged in via a convertible note, not for the new fund, but for our original fund. Um, they're a small cap company that's been around for quite a long time, actually. Remained a small cap stock um, in, in a sector that's not really, I don't think, very well understood. You know, they, they predominantly focused on the Zircon space. And normally when I mention Zircon to someone, their eyes will glaze over for one of two reasons. Either they know what it is and they're bored by it, <laughs> or they have no idea what it is. Um, look, they, they have projects as well in, in Senegal. They have some facilities in China. But 100%, absolutely, the, the main focus of their, of, of their business today um, is the Donald Project in country Victoria, a little bit northeast of, of, of Horsham. So historically, the business has done many, many things. I think the founder, the, the late Mr. King, um, was one of the early Westerners to go to China in the 1980s and started a business there and recognised the opportunity. They had a processing plant for zircon and, and, and mineral, mineral sands uh, back 
10, 15 years ago, they ended up selling that for about $250 million to a French consortium, and they distributed those funds because at the time they didn't need them for any progression within the company. Um, but again, right now the focus is their Donald project, where they have one of the world's largest undeveloped zircon mines. Um, I believe it's the largest in the southern hemisphere. So we're very excited to see what happens there. Um, the, the focus is, I, I believe, zircon, but certainly they're going to they're gonna dig up as well rare earths, which is quite topical nowadays, and also some titanium. And so, uh, well, full disclosure first, I have a small shareholding in this fund, which uh, it's bloody hard to get stock, Michael. So if there's any listeners out there looking to sell some stock, preferably below market prices, reach out. So tell me, the zircon market, what's it used for and, and why do you like it? Well, zircon is the boring part. Um, zircon is, is used predominantly, or almost entirely, for ceramics. So if you think about your kitchen, you think about your bathroom, the tiles, the sinks, the bathtubs, all of those things require zircon as a key ingredient. Um, interestingly, I think most of the focus recently hasn't actually been on the zircon space. I think most of, the, most of the interest recently has been on the rare earth space because of the increased usage and, and popularity of electric vehicles, which is one of the key ingredients in, in, in the battery and, and in, in renewables energy, especially wind turbines as well. Um, and, and rare earth by itself is actually an interesting enough reason to invest in the company. You know, Iluca came out not that long ago and said that they foresee significant supply shortages in the near term. And did China just announce overnight they're restricting exports for rare because they would just yeah. absolutely dominate the rare earth 100%, market? hundred percent. And that, that, that's the key point. I think that's also, that also explains why supply is so tight. I think China has either a controlling interest or a significant interest in just about every global rare earth project. It's well over 90%, I reckon. It's it, something ridiculous. I, I believe so. So, you know, if you're concerned about electric vehicles, it's not such a big problem. If you're concerned about um, wind turbines, also not such a big problem. But for the US Department of Defense, they use rare earths in some of their technology, in some of their defence technology, and for them, it would be a real issue to be reliant entirely on China. So really, really tight supply, not surprisingly, increasing demand. And as I said, Lucas said, they see in the next couple of years, there's going to be a real problem with delivering the amount of demand that's coming onto market. You know, I was thinking for myself, you know, when I was last in the market to buy a car, I thought, oh, why am I going to waste my time buying an electric vehicle? They're not efficient, you can't drive very far. But you know, we're back in the market at the moment, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking, you know what? Electric vehicles make sense. So if me, the most right-wing, you know, non-politically correct, not concerned about you know, all of these sorts of things, is suddenly you know, thinking about getting an electric vehicle, then it sort of makes sense to me that there's, you know, if, if I'm buying into it, then I'm sure many, many other people are buying into it as well. But to get back to Zircon, um, it's, it's a similar story, um, except in Lucas' same report where they forecast shortages of supply in, um, in, in rare earths coming down in the next couple of years, there are already undersupply. There's already higher demand than supply for, uh, for Zircon. So, um, you know, I was, I was having a read of the, of the, of the Aluka presentation six months ago. It was on a Sunday, and my, my nine-year-old daughter came in, and she was looking for attention, and good for her. I shouldn't be working on a Sunday anyway. She sat on my lap, and I thought, you know what? This is an opportunity to work on her reading <laughs> comprehension. And I was reading, I was reading the Aluka um, Prezzo, and, and they made reference to putting their, their clients um, on allocation. Huh. And it sounds like a weird thing, like what does allocation mean? So I gave, I gave the, the one pager to my daughter and I said, can you explain to me what allocation means? She took a minute or two to read it and she came back to me. And there's sometimes, you know, I, I think most of the time your kids are precious little gems that you need to protect, but every now and again they come out with some deep, deep wisdom. And <laughs> she, said, she said, Dad, it means you get what you get and you don't get upset. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I thought, that's brilliant, <laughs> that's brilliant. But you look, at, you look at global supply 
And in the next six years, it's anticipated that 40% of supply is going to come off. Mm. So Aluka, about 10, 15 years ago, made a discovery in South Australia. Um, it changed the game for the zircon space. And since then, they've been supplying about 25% of global demand. So huge. Um, but they, too, are coming off in about, I think it was 2026 20, is about when we expect them to come off. So, you know, there's a significant undersupply. Um, there are no obvious or easy um, alternatives to Zircon for this. And so we're actually really excited about the Donald Project specifically and, well, more generally Zircon, um, but specifically the definitive feasibility study that they're doing now, that, that astronauts are doing now, to shore up and update what they'd previously done in 2013. And so talk me through the, the Donald Project. I know you mentioned they haven't done the DFS yet, but um, you know, a number of approvals are already in place. Where are they up to with that Donald project yeah. outside of the DFS being done? Look, they're one of the most advanced Zircon and rare earth projects in the world in terms of um, permitting and whatnot. They're very close to infrastructure, being in country Victoria. Um, they've got the water rights in place, which is no small thing. No cultural heritage issues, no land title issues. They're well advanced with the Victorian government in terms of getting their permits correct. Um, and pleasingly, they've also got strong community support. So they've ticked a lot of the boxes that you need to get ticked before you can go to the next stage. Um, but to your point, you know, they are engaging in a DFS now. And their approach to how they're going to mine is going to be different to how it would have been historically. You know, nonetheless, because rare earths 10 years ago was a, a non-issue and rare earths today is more significant. But they did a DFS in 2013, and in 2013, despite all the challenges around this specific, uh, this specific site and generally globally, they came back with a valuation, a net present value of 1.4 billion US. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about that in the context of a company that now has a market cap of about $70 million. Mm. So, you know, sure there are risks to these sorts of studies. But our take is that this thing has just been so neglected, so flying under the radar, and Zircon is just so boring um, that people don't appreciate what the potential upside might be for this business. And what were the CapEx numbers for that original DFS? And just, I know it's impossible for you to predict, but back of envelope, what sort of CapEx numbers are you expecting for a project like this? Look, I've not looked at the 2013 recently. Um, well, ballpark. Well, yeah, what, what look, do you sort of expect? If you twisted my arm yeah. and you said, Michael, give me something. Yeah. I'd imagine two, three hundred million. Again, yeah. I understand from conversations that we've had with Tiger Brown, the new CEO, that they're looking to do the um, the project in stages rather than doing it all at once. And I think that makes a, a ton of sense. I mean, despite the fact that it's a 40-year mine life and despite the fact that they've got enough zircon in there to single-handedly supply the entire world's demand for five years, um, it doesn't make a ton of sense to jump in and just pull out as much as you can irrespective yeah. of the costs. So they're going to do it in a two-stage process. I think it's going to be about two, three hundred million dollars um, in capex, but I suspect, given the markets both for rare earths and zircon, that the vast majority of that financing will come via offtake agreements and debt financing. You know, we're always concerned, of course, if you go into the markets and you're raising you're raising equity when when share prices are super low, that's highly dilutive, and and there's no way we can know what the share price will be when the DFS comes out. But um, my expectations is, or my expectations are that uh, the vast majority of whatever they need will be raised through deals with people who are interested in the final, the final product um, or debt financing. And it does look to me like it is cameras, but you think they've got enough money to get through the DFS? I don't want to be on record saying they don't need money, because who knows? Well, they don't have a lot of money. Well, that's true, that's yeah. true. So, so we had a chat with, uh, with management, 
um, we had them come into the office and we had a conversation. We said, look, we've liked your business for a long time. We've liked your business since the old CEO was around. We've owned you at periods of time. Obviously, we can't buy it for the fund because there's just no liquidity. Yeah. As you mentioned, it's impossible to get this stock. Christian Invest can't get set. I think it's fair to say Common Street Value Fund <laughs> can't get set. I don't set. know. Your balance sheet's about <laughs> the same size as ours. I wish. So we said, look, we, we appreciate that the DFS is coming up. Um, we don't know what you're thinking about, but would you like to do a convertible note? So we asked him, how much do you need to get from where we are yeah. to where we need to be? And he said, five million. So he said, fine, we'll give you five million under these terms. And what are the terms? What does well, it convert at? So we started conversations with him when the share price was around about 40 cents. Yeah. And again, we recognise that the capital we're providing is to provide growth and to get them to the next stage. And so we think it's fair if we're investing in a business that we like to make a conversion price above the prevailing price. Mm -hmm. So it was 40 cents when we started talking. We thought 55-ish cents was about right. Uh, he thought... Sorry, we thought 50 cents was about right. He thought 56, 57 was about right. And we negotiated and came, I think we, we settled on about 50, 54 cents. And it's about, what is it, about 56 today, isn't it? It's, about, it's about there. It's yeah. there or thereabouts at the moment. So, you know, TU term, 10% um, interest rate, yeah. secured against some of their assets, Donald specifically. Great. Um, and yeah, we're really excited about what happens next. And is, is Tiger Brown the coolest name in... ASX listed company. Like, if, if there is a cooler name, I haven't met <laughs> I don't know if he should be in retail. I think he's in Zircon, I mean. I think he should be uh, running some sort of a tech business. Well, but if he's looking for the excitement, he can focus on the rare earths and titanium. And well, that's, that, about this that's right. Now, I, I speak to some companies that have Victorian mining projects, and they say the approval process in Victoria is more challenging than companies that have a lot more exposure to mining you know wa like in queensland is that is is that your experience and, and do you figure that that a project like this might take a little bit longer to get up or it's not something you factor in too much look this is a project that's been taken a long time to get up yeah um and they've had good discourse with the victorian government i haven't heard from astron that they've had any challenges from the victorian government but i certainly have heard anecdotally from other companies that dealing with mining jurisdictions yeah. can be much easier than dealing with Victoria. But I think it's also worth noting that this is not a gold mine. This is not, this is not a, a, a pollutive sort of process. You know, rare earths and mineral sands are pretty low maintenance on, on the region. And keeping in mind, again, this is in country Victoria. This is, this is land that was otherwise used for grazing on or farmland. Um, and given, given the technology and the process of, of, of mining zircon and rare earths, there's no reason why they can't rehabilitate the land as they go. So by the time they're done with this mine in 40 years' time, there's no reason to expect that within a year or two, it'll be back to what it looked like before, which is basically open graze farmland. And you mentioned a couple of things coming up which could lead to a re-rate of a stock like this. You mentioned the DFS, and potentially after that, there could be an offtake and perhaps debt uh, arrangement. Are they the two you know, big milestones that could lead to a re-rate, or are there other things people should keep an eye out for as well? Look, I mean... They've got a project in Senegal, you know, we don't value that at anything, but who knows, perhaps they'll have a, you know, they'll do a drill and find something magical and all of a sudden it'll re-rate. They've, they've got their processing plant the, um, in, China. in China, correct. Are you putting any value on that? Look, I note that Astron on their balance sheet put it north of 10 million and that feels about right. But again, in the context of what they potentially will generate out of Donald, yeah. like it's dwarfed. So you know, it, it probably won't make it a handy asset to have for sure. Yeah. If, you, if you're digging up zircon and you want someone to process it and refine it, and you've got your own refiner, that's certainly handy. Um, and, and that will be the plan eventually, albeit they'll, they will have more supply than they can process in that 
Look, Chinese facility. I, I, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I also don't know what the logistics are of shipping to and from China. Yeah. Um, I do know that China is the major consumer of zircon in the world. So it does make sense, you know, given their relationships there over the last 30 years plus, um, it makes sense that they would use China as, as you know, a base, if not the main base. Um, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. You know, in, in terms of catalysts, I think it's all about the DFS. You know, the yeah. DFS comes first. If they can shore up the reserve um, to look anything like what they did in 2013, if they can get an idea of what their mix is going to be, how much zircon, how much, how much rare earth, how much titanium, um, that'll give them a better sense of what their costs are going to be. It's going to give them a better sense of what their, you know, what their cost of financing is going to be and yeah. what their potential profit is going to be. So first and foremost, DFS is number one. Number two, um, once with the DFS, we'll see what the efficiencies can be. And then ultimately, like you said, um, what are their financing arrangements going to be? Again, I would be shocked if the majority of it isn't via offtake agreement. But who knows? Whatever, yeah. whatever the best deal is at the time is the deal that they should take. You know, incredibly concentrated register. I mean, almost a private business that's listed, really. Maybe talk us through just how concentrated the register is. And if you think uh, it'll stay like that, or if you could see that the major shareholder selling down at some stage. Well, the major shareholder is also the managing director and his family. Um, between Tiger and Kang Rong, I think they've got some 52-odd million dollars worth of stock. I know... They've got about 75% of the huge. business something, yeah. Like, yeah, something like that. Something yeah. like that. And again, Tiger's dad found this business, and I think he listed it to get better exposure to different markets to sort of you know, create that sense of security and safety, being a listed company relative, you know, rather than just being a private company. Um, and, you know, my sense is that Tiger views this asset as an intergenerational, you know, brown heirloom to go, to, you know, to go forwards. But ultimately, you know, taking it from a $100 million market cap, it's not even there right now, to let's call it a billion dollar market cap, I'm sure at some point along the journey there's going to be a capital raise and no doubt Tiger and Miss Rong will be diluted. But I, I have no expectation that they'll be looking to sell down that stock to fund their lifestyle, um, that just doesn't seem to be their personality. So, yeah. look, they'll maintain a significant stake, possibly a controlling stake for the foreseeable future. But again, that means that they're motivated and um, you know their interests are aligned with us. So, you know, if 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 if, if Tiger is looking after his own best interests and those best interests happen to be aligned with mine, then I can be fairly confident it's going to be the right thing. <laughs> and that that holding company for that shareholding is Hong Kong based. Yeah. In the current sort of Cold War climate that we're all living through. Does having a major shareholder to an Australian asset being based in Hong Kong, does that bring geopolitical challenges to approvals or it's a non-issue from your perspective? I've learnt over the journey that it's uh, not a great idea to have a strong public opinion about geopolitical issues, <laughs> no matter which way you take. There's no winning no matter which way you take. But look, on the right-hand side, you've got people saying that China is existential risk for our generation. Yeah. And on the other side, you've got people who are saying that there's nothing to see here, it's not a big problem. So I think somewhere between where we are now and whichever extreme we end up at, there'll be plenty of time to make decisions and make adjustments if necessary. I know, having brought this up with, with, with both Tiger's dad and Tiger more recently, um, they both said, look, we are aware of potential risks across our entire business. Um, if at some point it becomes something that we need to change, then that's something that they would obviously be open to from the company perspective and I believe also from their private capacity. Um, but, you know, trying to, trying to make big changes or big decisions now on the basis of what might or might not yeah. happen in the future, it's costly, it's, it's, it's time-consuming and it's not normally 
necessary. Beautiful. Well, it's a great story. Explained it uh, perfectly. So thanks very much. I'm looking forward to watching this one. No worries. Chris. Thanks for having me again. Thanks, Mark. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. Please do your own research and seek out your own financial advisor before committing any capital to these markets.